Sometimes, the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon, or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Rev. Jana Vende. And I'm Rev. Michael J. Day. We're priests of Arnery Octophane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts, but that's part of what makes it fun. So, sit back and enjoy, druids. In cars. Going to festivals. Originally recorded before this podcast ever came into being, Reverend Avende and I were at the ADF Clergy Retreat in 2017, and we sat down to talk with Reverend Rob Henderson about what it would be like to have Druidry in space. Of all the people we could talk to about this, Rev Henderson is the person that I most wanted to chat with, and I'm so glad that I did. The topic is silly but serious, and an ideal representation of the sort of weird things ADF priests think about when they have time to shoot the breeze at a festival. So join us as we chat with Rev Henderson about space Druidry. So I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. I am here with uh, Reverend Rob Henderson and Rev. Jan Avende, and we are uh, here to talk about, of all things, space druidry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a, a post on the ADF Facebook group, one of the ones that we've got right now, um, asking what would happen if we um, went out into space and landed on Mars, would we start worshipping a Mars mother instead of an Earth mother? And uh, this caused me to geek out on the inside um, and had me thinking about a lot of different things. And I, I messaged Rob <laughs> and we started talking and I kind of wanted to capture some of that for a podcast and uh, kind of have that discussion a little bit more live um, and a little bit more publicly than, than what I had before. But uh, the, the thing that had originally caught my attention um, when I started thinking about Druidry in, in space and things like that, I'd always thought about what it's like to look down on the Earth, um, to, to see it from a distance. I had run across a, a note in a Wikipedia article about the moon Titan um, and how it's tidally locked and how, as a result, there's a sub-Saturnian place on Titan that if you look up from that, um, Saturn is always simply... Right above, directly your, above, directly <laughs> above your head, <laughs> which got me to thinking about moon hinges and putting a moon hinge right in the middle of, of the moon and looking up and being able to see the Earth hanging uh, above us and rotating. Um, and I kind of wanted to to get some thoughts from you guys about the things that interest you and and the questions that you like to ask when it comes to to this idea of what happens as we, as a species, evolve and move into space. Well, with my own background in Shining Lakes Grove, rather than viewing the Earth Mother as a planetary deity, as I know most folks in ADF do, we view her as a local river mother for the Huron River in Ann Arbor, and we honor her that way as a spirit of place, or a goddess of place. So, really, when you go to a different planet, it's not going to be too much different. We try to follow in the ancient traditions of when a nomadic Indo-European people would move into a new place, they would identify the lake or river of that place and do rituals to contact the spirit or to make offerings to the, to the spirit of that lake or river. 
and would often have a symbolic marriage to the patron god of their tribe to symbolize their right to live there. If the omens were good, it was considered that the female spirit of place had accepted the usually male uh, tribal patron and that their marriage symbolized the people's right to live there. Projecting that outward, I mean, Mars has lake beds and remnants of water systems there that we know of. Uh, we have to get used to the thought of making offerings to a lake that's dry and has been dry for probably <laughs> millions of years. But the features are there, and even more so Titan. I remember when I was a college student in the 80s at the University of Michigan and took an astronomy course, and we hadn't quite gotten to all the data yet. All we had were the two flybys from the Voyager probes. But my professor mentioned that it was possible that there was a methane cycle on Titan, that there would be evaporating methane and ethane going up, forming clouds raining down, forming rivers and erosion features and into lakes and oceans. And that so captivated me back then. And then, then we got the Cassini probe go out in the last 10 years and take pictures of the lakes. We know they're there now. My favorite picture from the entire Cassini mission is one of Titan and the sunlight is glinting off one of the lakes being captured by the probe's camera. So when we, when we think about going to Titan, if we, if we ever set up human settlements there, of course we'd have lakes to, and rivers that we could honor as the very local spirit of place. I don't know if we'd be thinking in terms of the whole planet as, or the whole moon as being our home at that point, or if we just have the uh, local ethane river mother for the, for the base we set up. The ethane river mother. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, we, do we marry our earth mother to the river mother then? Is that... Well, see, what I came from was, was the idea of when the Romans started taking their giant paintbrush across the European continent and just taking the earth mother or the river mother figure from each culture they came in contact with and just adding... <laughs> Terramater to it, so just continuing to just rename them. So my thought was, you know, if we went to Mars, the Mars mother would just be the Terra Mars mother. <laughs> um, and then there was also the discussion of, well, what about Mars as the deity, right? So, <laughs> so do you have? Are you are you wedding our Earth mother to Mars, the deity, and? tapping into that that city idea and creating cities there. Um, so that was kind of where I came from with the... I had none of that. That's good. So, but I was more interested in talking about the offerings and what oh, yeah. you would actually offer on a different planet. <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of times what we offer to the Earth Mother are things of the Earth. Mm. Grain, flowers, what have you. And so, you would either offer, like, space dust from comets, right? Or, or my favorite is ice crystals. Because you offer, you, you, you offer the ice crystals. So, I'm a devotee of Poseidon, so I offer salt a lot of times to Poseidon because it's part of his um, waters. And so, if you're honoring a river mother, but it's really cold on those other planets, so they'd be ice. So, you offer the ice crystals as a way to honor them. One, one of the things <laughs> when, when Rob and I were talking about this originally, we, we, we had gone back and forth on that because my first thought was, well, you can't take birdseed. You, <laughs> you, you can't take, uh, you know, beer because birdseed is a, a, a seed that will, yeah, it's, invasive species. it's an invasive species <laughs> and we don't want to contaminate. Ye, uh. Yeast and beer, same thing. You know, we don't want to contaminate. 
Um, which led me to thinking about silver, right. which... Which is not the, always the best offering on Earth because it has antimicrobial properties. It interferes, I believe it interferes with their ability to absorb oxygen. So if there's any native life on Titan at all in its microbial form, offering silver could be potentially committing genocide. <laughs> in, Which is in, bad. In, well, also in the grand Indo-European tradition. Yes, well, well yeah, that. There, there are some Indo-European things we don't necessarily want to take to the planets with us. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, with, with silver being out, we thought about other kinds of metals, and titanium was the, the first one you thought of. Yeah, because it's very, it's very not reactive. Yeah, and then platinum as well, mm. which led me to think, oh, the stuff we make spaceships out of. <laughs> Spaceship parts are yeah. the, the logical, I guess, um, thing. It well, and then like you, but then you have the, the metal that you have worked Mm-hmm. That you have put mm-hmm. your own energy into. You could make a very nice and, knot work thing. And, and, yeah. Yes, and then so you take the, after you've made it to this moon or this planet, you scrap your ship, and because you have the energy from traveling through space, and then you have the, the work that you're able to do with all those scrap parts, and then you make those as the offerings. Mm-hmm. And they're limited, so they're they're value. They're definitely taken out of human use. <laughs> yeah, that would make sense, yes. So. And uh, from the Greek tradition, don't forget one of the more simpler um, offerings. Well, not really an offering, but a place to set up worship would just be setting up a herm. Yes. If the planet you're landing on has rocks, you can make a herm without worrying about um, killing off the local uh, wildlife. True. Now, would the crossroads be the atmosphere? If well, <laughs> if you could set up rocks in the middle of the atmosphere with the crossroads, I don't know. <laughs> But I, I, I assume you'll have, like, <laughs> unless you really keep it contained within one kind well, of dome, yeah. you'll have pathways to no, go to but, other parts of the planet. But if you're traveling from Earth to Mars, then you've got the satellites around Mars True. that are your crossroad <laughs> liminal spaces <laughs> that allow you to have that connection. Well, you know, actually, if, if you were on a space station above a planet with a settlement on it, you might view yourself as being that crossroads in that sense. You might set up a herm or some other gatekeeper kind of does that temple. Make, does that make space stations gatekeeper figures? In, in more ways than one, really. <laughs> one of the other things that I wanted to, to ask about is, uh, from everything that I have heard, when astronauts have returned to Earth, Mm-hmm. Um, many of them have been unable to put into words exactly what it is that they felt when they were looking down upon the Earth, which right. I can only imagine is hard to describe to someone who's not been there. Um, yeah, I couldn't describe a solar eclipse after I saw it. I couldn't imagine seeing the Earth from the moon. And <laughs> oh, yeah, da-da-da-da-da, there yeah. we go. <laughs> the, but they, they often describe it as kind of a, a religious experience and, and things like that, and obviously... Until we put a pagan in space, uh, it, it will be hard to to conceptualize that. But when we see this Earth that we have always considered, you know, a mother that we have in many cases considered a goddess, um, floating out there in the big big black void, um, what kind of effect do you think that will have on practices that we have today? You know, since, since I don't really work with a planetary goddess, I don't know. Because it's funny, because cause um, on my laptop, the uh, wallpaper that I use is the shot from the uh, weather satellite that that's, it monitors the sunward side of the Earth from about a million miles further in. And there was one time when the moon just kind of photobombed and came right in. <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, lovely photo of the far side of the moon, which humans don't get to see, and that's why it's there. 
the why I keep it on my on my wallpaper. It's like a reminder that there's, you know, we we now have the ability to see something that has been there for billions of years and we couldn't until just recently. Yeah. And it's, it kind of gets me to that mindset of like, well, you know, on the one hand, all human civilization is inside that photograph. On the other hand, someone took the photo. Okay. So we're, we kind of have, for me, it's a simultaneous thing of that's all of humanity except for this. <laughs> we're, we're still moving forward and outward. One of the things that I had seen, and, and it's for our lifetime, Jan and myself, um, we have always had the little blue dot photo for the most part. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, as long as we've been conceptualizing this whole pagan thing, for sure, um, it, it's not that old of a photograph, but it's, it's one that has always sort of formed our impression. How did you feel when you saw the little blue dot photo? Um, I guess I would have been in high school when Voyager sent that back. So it was, it was pretty, it was fairly awe-inspiring. I mean, like we'd seen photos of the Earth entirely within a photo from mm -hmm. before that. I actually remember um, the uh, TV show, the, the Midwife? What's the name of that one? Call the Midwife. Call the Midwife, yeah. <laughs> my, mom, my friend mentioned to me that they had an episode where the, the first satellite photo of the entire Earth was going to be broadcast and put in newspapers, and some of the nuns were like, I don't want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, that, that is not what humans are meant to see. Obviously, I feel a little bit differently than that, but yeah, I mean, I grew up in the space age. I was eight months old when the first moonwalk took place. My dad assures me that I was awake and looking in the direction of the television when it happened, <laughs> because he knew I was going to care about that at some point. Um, and it's certainly very much a space race household. My dad actually worked for NASA for a few years. But yeah, it's, it's, I still love those photos of seeing the Earth from that far distance, and, and also if it can actually capture the moon, too. Part, part of the fascination of that is, is realizing that you know Venus had a moon the same size as ours. Imagine how much differently human civilization would have looked knowing there was a moon going around another planet. Because yeah. we would have been able to see the phases, we would have seen it moving, we would have known we weren't the only one with a moon. I don't know, maybe the religious zealots would have kept it under wraps or <laughs> crushed descent, I don't know. But yeah, I do work with a planetary Earth goddess, and I think the, the way we view the Earth Mother for a, a lot of folks, and for, for me as well, is as this like very mothering figure. It's not the distant coldness that you can sometimes get working with deities that you can't interact with because the earth is there like hmm. you can feel her you can see her she's very very much in the material world and i think putting a putting a pagan in space who can then see the earth is a globe i think it would reinforce the deification because then you're getting the oh wow that is a being that i can no longer touch who i'm interacting with and it removes that that immediate um, mm -hmm. feel. And so I think that would, it, it would deify more. Um, yeah, I think people would react differently. Some pagans are more touchy-feely than others from my experience. It would be interesting to see yeah. how folks would deal with that differently. One, one of the things that I like to do is uh, I do two powers meditations in weird places. So I've done, them, I've done them in volcanoes, I've done them at the seashore, you know, I've done them all sorts of, of weird places. Send your roots down, feel the blazing hot lava. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting how, you know, being in those other places when you do those kinds of meditations, those, uh, like the two powers at a volcano or, or the two powers at the seashore, um, and I recommend anyone to, to try that. Find, find a weird place and 
Ooh, meditation. I did it at the, the Plutonian cave at Eleusis, where uh, Persephone was taken underground, um, which was awesome. Didn't you do it at Delphi as well? I did it at Delphi underneath the mm -hmm. Temple of Apollo, um, <laughs> which... Did you say any fun stuff that someone managed to record? Or? Uh, no, they, but it was, it, was, it was a good experience. And, but I wonder sometimes, too, about what it would be like to do some of our standard meditations on another planet or in mm -hmm. orbit or, mm -hmm. or all, all those things. I mean, it's hard to put your roots down when you're in orbit. What, is, what does that mean? What does it look like when you do that? Well, see, but I would think that would... So a lot of times when I do the two powers, I one of my phrases that I use often and kind of riff off of is that straighten your spine and allow your body to become the tree. And so I don't know that you need to put your roots down because you're touching the cosmic waters. So your body becomes the tree and your roots, per se, are going into space. They're literally touching the cosmic stuff. <laughs> and then when you, when you send your branches up to find the heavens, well, you're there too. So I would almost think you'd have more connection because you, you don't have to send your roots and your branches quite as far. <laughs> you're just a shorter tree. <laughs> you're, shorter, you're, you're a very... You're a bonsai. You're, you're, you're a very stout tree. <laughs> things about druidry in space or, or really about how we interact with this world as we're on it versus how we interact when we're not that you guys... One thing I was thinking about when we were discussing this is um, you mentioned the if you had a place on Titan that where Saturn was directly above it, it occurs to me if you're trying to set up a human settlement there, that's the last place you want to put your solar arrays because you're losing <laughs> a lot of potential sunlight when it's behind Saturn. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to look at, but your solar cells aren't going to get charged. And the sunlight out there is only one-twelfth of what Earth gets anyway, so you're going to be pretty desperate. So it does occur to me, even as much as that might end up being a sacred site on Titan, the far side of Titan that will always have access to the sun might be just as good. Of course, with a cloud cover on Titan, that might be a moot point anyway, trying to get solar power from the surface. It would just make a better pilgrimage. Yeah, well, actually, I think pilgrimages too. Because, I mean, for various points, I mean, if you move away from directly under Saturn, you'll see part of Saturn. If you move further away, it's going to be on the horizon, and then you'll see just the rings. And it occurs to me, you could actually set up a series of pilgrimage sites, assuming you are, have um, civilized Titan well enough to actually walk around or drive around on the surface. Mm. And you could actually go from blank and then just follow the path of the rings into various sacred sites and then go to the other side of the moon, and that's where it ends. You know, it would be really funny to think about, we've been, say, on Titan for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And the folks on Titan trying to be like, well, we got to reconstruct what they did on Earth. we got to do exactly <laughs> what they were doing, <laughs> right? And so having them try to do exactly what we're doing while we were trying to do exactly what <laughs> the ancients were doing and then having to reimagine across, across mm -hmm. that spectrum of time and place, which then leads into the... A lot of times when we, when we recreate the cosmos, we talk about this is sacred time, all time's the same, all places are the same, no matter where you are, the fire is at the center, and we're gathered around it. Well, if you're, d does that still hold true? If you're on a different planet, does it still become the same? I would hope so. The same place? And then what does that place look like? Yeah. <laughs> like kind of along those lines, we had talked about, um, you know, meeting a water nymph on, on Titan. Right. And what would that water nymph look like? Would it... Would it look like what we expect a water nymph to look like? Would it look like what the life on that other planet 
looks like? Or if there is no life there, does it look like something entirely different? Right. It's it's one of those things that I would love to get the perspective of someone who could go and meditate and do transfer. Yeah, I, I would suggest we try to find a place on Earth that doesn't have any local life, but it's a little late for that now. Everything's got some kind of life form growing. And even Antarctica, you're going to find some penguins down there. True. Penguin nymphs. Penguin yep. nymphs. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. that, that is, I think that's one of those things that the explorers are going to have to figure out on their own if they're pagan. Yeah. I, I think creation myths would be cool, too to think about mm-hmm. because we have so the, the little blue dot picture for me it very much ties into that creation myth because you're seeing the darkness surround the, the planet and so you have that idea of like the cosmic egg mm-hmm. uh, cracking open and you've got you've got life and the heavens draping over the earth um, so very much Greek in my conceptualization of it but the heavens draping mm-hmm. over the earth and being able to see the land and the 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 water surrounding the continents like that that image really brings the creation myth to life for me and so would there be new creation myths that people would would have by being able to see other planets or being able to see um different interactions of the celestial bodies or just not being earthbound for their entire lives or just not being earthbound. i feel like i'd have to come up with some kind of titan creation myth (laughs) if i were living on titan yeah that's just would be a requirement if i was a pagan yeah but then but then that pulls into is it still the same cosmos well if you had like (laughs) so that then that's that sacred time sacred space if you have a new creation myth for titan Mm -hmm. is that Still the same. I mean, I would like to think it's still the same cosmos, I, you know. <laughs> well, I, I don't think many Norse folks had a problem when they came to North America. And right. Like, this is clearly part of what was created when Odin killed Ymir, or maybe I'm getting my uh, Norse mythology wrong. But whatever created that world presumably was involved in this. Or. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate the the chat. It was quite fun. (laughs) (laughs) So once again, my name's Reverend Michael J. Dangler. Um, I'm Reverend Rob Henderson from Shining Lakes Grove. And I'm Reverend Jana Vende from Three Cranes. And uh, we're here at the the 2017 Clergy Retreat and just kind of chatting about Space Drew Retreat, (laughs) like you do. Thanks. Thanks for listening, and there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something that you'd like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsincars at threecranes.org. If you would like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids in Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org and more about druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes and let us pray with a good fire.